like everybody uh, is chiming in. Well done. Joan Pugh got it. Pat Keller got it. Lenore got it. All right. Well done. Susan got it. <laughs> That's a classic one. That was one of my dad's all-time favorite shows. So uh, Really? I've probably seen every one of those episodes like four or five times. Ugh. Uh, show, but got tired of it. Yeah. Um I I might have seen one show. I may have seen one show, but that's it. Um, so what? I know, I know. It just I, I never I never watched it. My I don't think my parents watched it. Um, so it just I, I missed that that time frame. But it's a classic show. I know that, and it's a classic theme song. So we thank Catherine for uh, <clears throat> uh, putting that one into the mix. Uh, well, welcome everybody to Joel and Rob's podcast, where we explore a chapter from Brian McLaren's "We Make the Road by Walking." We are on chapter thirty-four. We are in the Easter season in this book, where Brian describes um, the Easter story as an uprising. And each chapter he begins with um, a different kind of uprising. This one is the uprising of fellowship. And the main scripture that he explores uh, are the scriptures that we've explored in worship the last two weeks. So the story of Mary at the tomb, meeting Jesus the gardener, um, uh, Jesus' invitation to her to do not cling, and then the story we explored yesterday in worship of um, Thomas and his desire to see the wounds or the, the wounds in Jesus's um, hands and wrists. So we've been exploring these two scriptures the last two weeks, Rob. Um, is there anything else you'd like to comment on um, about these scriptures? I have a couple thoughts. But I wanted to see if it was you. Um, first, if, if you no, had if had any ideas, because as I reread them this morning, I realized the Thomas story uh, at the end of the second section of chapter twenty is packed with so much good stuff, so many nuggets, and and I myself, I always just go right to Thomas, and there are some other great sections before that, in particular. The section where, breathes, where Jesus breathes on them, <laughs> combine two words there, where Jesus breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit, and then in their fear and anxiety and uncertainty says, I now send you out into the world as my witnesses. Um, and then gives them this, this great, uh, almost marching orders, Um, with the power to forgive is in your hands. You can offer forgiveness or you cannot offer forgiveness. And Brian, we'll get to in a section, does a great job of noting um, these are Jesus's first words to his disciples. Uh, And they're not what we would expect. We would expect, hey, look what just happened to me. Guess what we're going to do, guys? We're going to go get them. Uh, But instead, Jesus instead offers peace and the invitation to forgive. 
This has suddenly become Joel's podcast. No, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Where I've lost Rob. There I'm you here. go. It's not, Sorry, not, on not the same without you. No, I couldn't agree more. That it, he puts that powerfully. And the other thing that comes to mind with the John lesson is that John combines um, Easter and Pentecost right up with each other. Mm. I mean, it's resurrection and it's, and it's the blessing of the Spirit and descending, kind of all within the same. That's a great point. I've never seen that moment as Pentecost, but it kind of is. It's John version. John, I think it is. John's version of Pentecost. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not Luke, Luke's version mm-hmm. of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But I do. It's John's. I mean, mm-hmm. receive the Holy Spirit as the Father sent me, so I send you. Yep. Um, but I had never thought of it the way Brian put it before. It's you know they're they're feeling like phony, weak cowards. Yeah. At the exact moment Jesus comes in and says, "You are my people. Go." Yeah. Do everything that you're you're equipped and capable of doing. Yes. Kind of like they're at their at their greatest moment of grief and probably feeling the lowest they have felt in a really long time. That's the moment Jesus shows up and says, "You've got this." Yes. And I am sending you out into the world. Yeah. Uh, and so it's this also this picture of the very end of worship when we gather. The benediction, um, uh, and as we walk, we we leave the sanctuary and we go back out into the world as Christ's agents um, for peace and reconciliation and love and service and justice. We are we are sent back out into the world. Um, so, from this chapter, what what spoke to you? Anything else? Uh well, I loved a lot about it. Um, I loved that part in particular about how he um, talks about, you know, that line on page 173. Here, here we were huddled in our little safe house like a bunch of cowards, and he was still interested in sending cowards like us yeah. to continue his mission. Um, and then next came the greatest shock of all uh, about how how instead of what he sends them to do is not to go seek vengeance or retribution, but to go spread peace and to go offer forgiveness. Yeah. And this total 180 from the ways of the world. And it had me thinking about um, the majority of movies that I watch um, or that are put to us in mainstream media that have a totally different narrative um, Mm -hmm. and how we we are invited in the movie to take on the role of the protagonist who's been um, hurt and is seeking revenge. And we get on their side um, and are cheering for them to get the revenge that they deserve. It feels good. Oh, it feels great. No question about it. Um, And this is a completely different narrative. Um, Instead of going out for revenge, we are going out to forgive. My gosh. Um, I love the section... Oh, go ahead. uh, Just moving on a little bit, um, middle of 174, uh, that doesn't get shared enough as Brian gets into his Jesus' interaction with Thomas, is that there is 
not an ounce of shaming or guilting from Jesus to Thomas. Um, that is completely removed. He is completely okay with Jesus's doubts. Or, sorry, with Thomas's doubts and questions and kind of just his wrestling with faith. Um, uh, Brian says he did not criticize Thomas for doubting. He just wants to help him to believe. Uh, and so those, I think, are just powerful words for each of us that kind of go back to yesterday's um, theme and message to uh, um, that God is not afraid or of our doubts. God is not condemning our doubts or questions. They are these kind of seeds for us to um, take a step in our journey with God. Um, and so it's it took me some time to get to this place, but to be at a place in my own journey of faith where I was okay with uh, being in a space of doubts and questions um, and uh, trusting that God was okay with that too and that in many ways this was very well God leading me to something else uh, in my journey, something deeper, something... Um, uh, something more than where I was previously. Something new. Yeah. And truer. Yeah. I mean, doubts like we talked about, um, are oftentimes pathways. I mean, it certainly was for Thomas. Yeah. And Brian did a great job of of highlighting how Thomas, Thomas owned his doubt. He, He was very articulate with it, but he kept, he kept on. He stayed with the disciples. He, did, he didn't blindly accept resurrection, but nor did he just completely reject this notion and abandon the disciples and Jesus' ministry altogether. I mean, mm-hmm. doubt provides kind of a pathway of, of kind of a, a holding place where, where competing claims can be held in tension. As we continue to work our way through them and ultimately find a resolution um, that may not land on either uh, place in the tension, but might be something deeper, truer, farther along the journey that we've made by walking through our doubts. Yeah. And how Thomas gets there, Brian, I think he articulates what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks as what resurrection faith and resurrection life looks like. He actually names the word that we've been talking about. Towards the end of 174, he says, that's one thing you have to say about Thomas. Even though he didn't believe at first, he stayed with... I can't read that word. He stayed with us, open to the possibility that his doubt could be transformed into faith. He kept coming back. He kept showing up. So there was, he just didn't walk out and leave and say, I'm done with this, which um, sometimes in, in, sometimes in moments of questions and doubt, you need to take us, you need to put some distance between it. And that's actually healthy at times. But Thomas, overall, he stayed open to this new way of seeing and understanding Jesus that was so foreign to what he knew before. Um, he had an open heart. Um, uh, 
he left his mind open to new possibilities. Um, yep. And what happened? Jesus came to him. He left space open for God to come to him, and that is exactly what happened. Um, so Brian names that word that we've been talking about really well. Yep, and then he goes on to another word. It's the basis of the whole chapter. And uh, uh, I just loved his definition of fellowship. Yeah, yes. You know? um, Yeah. And he's talking about how you have the doubters like Thomas, how you have the cowards like the disciples who would abandon Jesus on his, the night of his trail and crucifixion, um, you know, and it's still like this is a, we are involved in a community, really a movement uh, where each and all are welcome and embraced. The, the doubters, the deniers, the, the cowards, the, the sinners, um, yes. here everybody's named and claimed. It's a word that is very churchy, fellowship. Like, I don't really hear it anywhere else besides church. And I think he had a great way of describing, Joe, what we mean when we say fellowship at church. It's, it's different than um, gathering with a few people that are uh, kind of believe the same thing and always get along and have a really good, good time together, right? It's something deeper than that. It's, it's gathering with people that sometimes we don't agree with. Um, that we are still choosing to love. Um, what what I've what I've loved about being a part of church throughout my life um, is I have been in relationship with people that I never would have been in relationship with, um, especially when there's often just a generational divide in how we. Um, are in community with one another, right? Um, you know, the example for me is when I was uh, serving as a youth director in Chicago, um, I left that position, moved to the city for a year, started going to a church that was all 20s and 30s. And at first it was like, oh, this is kind of neat. I'm, I'm with people my age now. And I had kind of struggled as a youth director to be with people who... My, my age, especially friendship-wise. And it took me a couple months, and then I kind of said, wow, I, I miss my previous church. I miss seeing older adults. I miss seeing children. I miss being in relationship with people of all generations. Um, and that's something that I think fellowship at, at church offers us that you don't really find anywhere else. That's a great point. I don't know where you do, you know? Um, and so fellowship in a church, a community of faith, is a, it's a particular kind of, of fellowship. And sometimes it's a little messy. Uh, sometimes it's, it's we're not all hanging out and getting along. Sometimes it's, um, it's a little messy. Uh, I have a pastor friend that would tell me this often. Church is messy at times, and you got to get okay with be okay with that. It's a place where we are learning how to love one another. Um, and uh, it's, it's a place where we're practicing what it means to be disciples. Yeah. And when you practice something, you're not always going to get it right. 
Nope. Practice grace, practice love, practice forgiveness, practice compassion. Um, and the fellowship is a place that will love you and nurture you even as you get it wrong at times. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well right, said. Right towards the end, I thought this was, was fantastic. And I've thought about this a little bit um, before, and Brian hit it. Uh, towards the end of 175, last page, he said, Jesus showed us his scars. And we're starting to realize we don't have to hide ours. And so I think I've, this is, this is my Richard Rohr moment, but I think he's talked about that before, of the resurrected Jesus in this new state that he is in. His scars are still there. His wounds are still there. He carries his wounds with him. Um, and so this resurrected life that we are invited into is a place where we still have our wounds. They're still there, but I think they can become scars in a sense, um, as opposed to these kind of open wounds that are still oozing. There, there has been some kind of healing in them. And, and so I, I just wrote down, um, we're starting to realize we don't have to hide our, our hours is uh, what an invitation for us as a fellowship, a community of faith to, to add on to that fellowship idea that this is a place where we're honest, we're open and we'll, and we're vulnerable. And it's so hard yet. I know, I know the two of us have tried to be open to this ourselves a little more. Um, uh, um, to be a little open and, and vulnerable with what's going on in us. Um, but this is where church can be so good, where, <laughs> again, where are those places where you can be honest and open and vulnerable and still be loved? Like, that is the power of this chapter, the uprising of fellowship. Amen. So well said. Mm. Yeah. So well said. The Jesus resurrected body has scars to me has always also been a um, testimony to the fact that even in his resurrected state, you know, Jesus has scars that bear testimony to his ability to understand our pain, Mm -hmm. our own wounds that we carry. Uh, And they also testify to the fact that our wounds and our, our, our pains of this world as we work our way through them and as we heal from them, they they also become formational in a way. Yes. They, they the, the scars bear testimony that that we have endured this, and yet still we are okay. We're yeah. alive, particularly even in his risen state. He's as fully alive as ever. Yeah. Uh, and as you say in fellowship, it's it's testimony that we all have them. We all have our own wounds. Yeah. Some of them are healed and. It's formed scars, and some of them haven't. But a lot of them we're still working on. Yeah, fellowship is a place where they can all be revealed. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Good one. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. uh, Speaking of scars, we know that uh, (laughs) there's a lot of wounds and pains being felt right now amid the pandemic. And what we were going to try and talk about last Wednesday 
we are going to try and talk about this coming Wednesday, as Joel already teased, with um, God's place and presence even amid the pandemic, and specifically the question of whether or not God may have even caused the pandemic. Mm. So that'll be this Wednesday at 1. So we hope you will join us. Um, And we also, friends, if you haven't yet, we invite you to follow, like, and follow TPC on Facebook. That will give you notification as to when we go live. It's an easy way of doing it. Mm -hmm. And as we continue to try and um, offer uh, opportunities to the community around us, please don't hesitate to share this if you found it helpful yeah. um, so that others uh, might share in this conversation virtually as well. Yeah, especially with our uh, Tuesday night spiritual practice. Um, I think that's a great opportunity for someone who is <clears throat> eager for some kind of spirituality but not sure how to go about it or how to practice it. We, uh, that's a great opportunity so we'll be back with you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock to practice a spiritual practice. Uh, until then, we miss you. We love you and look forward to being with you remotely, but still look forward to being back together with you in person whenever that, whenever that date happens. Until then, we'll see you soon. Peace.